And I've always been a grazer when it comes to eating. And, and I don't know if it was started out because I was a really picky eater and I just ate really slow. Um, I would pull the celery out of, you know, some of the food. And yes, my mom did make me eat some of the green stuff that was in there. But I was just really, I was a picky eater. So I don't know if that's when it started, that I just would eat small portions then. Or if it was, you know, when I would do all the, the distance runs that I did for, for a season, you know, obviously you don't want to go and eat a huge meal and then go out and run a number of miles that just doesn't work out so well. And then also working on the sawmill, of course, you do a lot of leaning over and, and lifting and stuff like that. And let's face it, you got a belly full that does not pan out too well. And then I also struggled with some eating stuff and, and, and body issues and, you know, as far as image. And so I just really hated that feeling of feeling full. And so maybe that's what started. So I eat little tiny meals along the way so I wouldn't get too hungry and overeat. And so I kind of struggled with that for a little bit. So maybe that's where that, that came from, where I just became a grazer. But it is said that it is healthier to eat six meals a day that are smaller than it is to eat three big meals. That's what they tell us. The body's digestive system just appreciates that lower volume of food. Um, it just processes better. And, and those, just those little small portions are just, just healthier. And so I wondered, well, should we apply that to God's word this morning? To just take those, those little bits of food, and, or of God's word, and, and just digest those easier this morning, kind of applying that same principle. Because obviously I would typically read a, a whole passage, just, just read through the whole thing. But the passage for today, it really is, is easier to work through if we do it bite by bite. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, and hopefully it's going to help us to digest God's word better. We are in the book of Nehemiah, the last historical book of the Old Testament. And if you have internet access and you weren't here last week, you want to catch up on that background and the context and get an understanding um, as I went into that last week, um, it should be on our Facebook page or on the church website, hopefully by the end of today. I was a little slow in getting that in this week. Um, but you can go there and catch up if you missed last Sunday. But as I did say last Sunday, I'm not sure how long we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to kind of let God lead as, as we work through it and, and let him determine that. But last week we looked at the first chapter, and we gleaned le- lessons from a cupbearer's prayer and the importance of humbling ourselves before God. And I put forth the challenge for all of us to humble ourselves before God, repent of any sin, seek his will, and then pray the specific prayers that he put on our heart. Now, I don't know how many of you responded to that challenge. Obviously, that's between you and God um, to work that out. Um, But I do feel like there was a a number of you that, that probably did respond to that challenge. I don't know if God had put you or put me on your heart because I certainly felt um, the extra prayers of, of people um, this week. And so if that was you, I say thank you um, for that. Um, but I do encourage you, keep applying the principles here that we found, those lessons from a cupbearer's prayer as you pray. Well, today we're going to be looking at the result of Nehemiah's prayer and how God's hand was upon him. 
And the Bible records Nehemiah's next step in chapter 2 here in leading his people in rebuilding the wall, that rebuilding process. So before we start to read scripture, let's take a minute and just pray for the word. God, we thank you. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate your word to us today, that we would have a fuller understanding of who you are today through your word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the second chapter of Nehemiah starts out with early the following spring in the month of Nisan. And we're going to have the scriptures up this morning for you because of having going through it in this way. So early the following spring in the month of Nisan. Have you ever had something weigh so heavy on your heart, so heavy that it seemed incredibly urgent? And you sensed that, that it was God's will that you pray specifically for it? Maybe a loved one would be set free from addiction because it was surely God's will that he wouldn't want that person to live in bondage one more night. That, that's kind of what you would sense. And, and so you prayed, and, and passionately so. You maybe even fasted, and you continued to pray. But you felt like when you first started praying that surely you would receive an immediate answer from God, like within the hour. You just prayed so hard that you thought, absolutely, we're going to hear from God within the hour. Because that prompting of the Holy Spirit was so strong. The burden was so great. I can imagine that this would have been Nehemiah's situation. The burden that he had for his countrymen was so great. And he prayed passionately for this desperate situation in Jerusalem. God had placed a burden on his heart. And he kept praying. From winter until spring, he prayed. I think it's good for Nehemiah that God didn't ask him to pray through a Minnesota winter. Especially one that we just had. Nehemiah continued to pray and watch for the hand of God to move. The first verse continues early the following spring in the month of Nisan with during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Nehemiah continued to fulfill his responsibilities as he prayed and as he waited on God. He just kept living life and just kept praying and anticipating God to answer. And I remember talking with someone one time and they told me it was wrong to pray for the same thing more than once. That for some reason that that just discredited your faith in God. And I wasn't in agreement with that. I, I think there are those times where there maybe is just a one-time prayer. That's, a, that's all it's needed. You just pray that one thing and for that one time. But I think that there are also times where we need to be persistent in prayer. Jesus certainly taught us that. To pray and always never give up. Like in, in the 18th chapter of Luke with the persistent widow who just kept going to the judge. Just kept going to the judge with her concerns. And, and Jesus said... And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day? Who keep, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Jesus certainly taught, be persistent in prayer. But God's timing, of course, is not always our timing. 
It's easy to get discouraged as we wait on God in prayer. We question, when God? Why can't I see you moving in this? How long, O Lord? And sometimes we can also rationalize that maybe God just needs a little bit of a help with getting the answer to come. Kind of like Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, called Abram at the time, was told by God that he'd have a son of his own and that his descendant would be as numerous as the stars. Amazing. Except Abraham's wife was barren and well past childbearing years. And so even after the promise, his wife Sarah was still barren. So they took matters into their own hands in an effort to hurry along God's plan. You can read about that in Genesis chapters 15 and 16, but I will give you a spoiler alert. It did not go well. So we do need to guard against taking matters into our own hands as Nehemiah did. The wait can be long, but we can be encouraged to keep praying and wait on God. The Apostle Peter encouraged his readers in regards to God's timing with these words. He wrote, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. God's timing is perfect. His ways are not our ways, and, and we can wonder, because of his faithfulness, we can wonder in the wait. He's a trustworthy God. Use that time to pray and prepare. God's answer will come in his perfect time. Keep on filling your responsibilities as you keep on praying. Keep believing that God's going to answer. That's what Nehemiah did. He just kept praying. He kept waiting for that door to open. He didn't push it open. He kept looking to God in anticipation, believing that the answer would come. Verse 1 continues with, I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Nehemiah wrote, The weight of the plight of his countrymen in Jerusalem, which Nehemiah was carrying, had become so heavy that he could no longer hide it. His face had become downcast. Anyone who worked for the king back then would do everything possible to not be sad, to always arrive in the king's presence um, to do their job with a smile on their face, and for good reason. A downturned face would be construed as being dissatisfied with the king as one who might stir up dissension or revolt. And so arriving on the job could not only cost... um, a person in their life, if they arrived sad and, and downcast, um, they could lose their job, but they could also lose their life. And so Nehemiah, of course, was carrying this burden. He could hide it no more. Pat and I just watched a movie last week, Hidden Figures, and, and it was a movie-slash-documentary. And it was about a group of black women who were extremely gifted in mathematics and engineering. And they worked for NASA during the space race, the late 50s, mid-50s, and until the, the, the mid-60s. 
And their responsibility was to do the calculations of trajectory of the rockets and such. And, and I, I didn't really think about it until a little bit into the movie, uh, their job title. Their job title were computers. That's what they were called. They were com called computers. And, and it was kind of on that cusp of the computer age because later in the movie, the first IBM computer, which required an entire room and the door to be refashioned so they could get it into the room, um, was part of the show. And, and I just thought, I never really thought about it. That's where they came up with the name, computers, is because of what these people were doing. And, you know, this show was really an eye-opener for us two Gen Xers. We, we had heard about racial and gender prejudice in this country, but actually seeing it lived out in the professional realm was, was something that just brought it more to real life for us. You know, obviously living in northern Minnesota, um, we didn't have a lot of African Americans living up here, so we just really didn't feel that racial tension that obviously other parts of the country did. But, but there was one woman, black woman, that, that had asked, was asked to, to work in a department that really was right next to like the very top guy, the one in command, and, and it was because of her computing abilities. It was really incredible. But what she endured really almost seemed unbelievable. She had been given her own coffee pot. Now you might think, well, that's really nice. She got her own coffee pot. Well, it was just this crusty old coffee pot. And, and she was given it because the men didn't want her to be taking coffee out of her coffee pot. And, and it was because she was colored, because there was a little sign on there that said colored. And it just, it, it, honestly, it, it was just blew my mind. And then she had to run a half a mile one way to go to the bathroom because there was no bathroom in the complex that she was working in that was for colored women. And not only did she run that half mile every time she needed to use the bathroom, she had to run it in heels and a skirt past her knees because that was the expected dress code of a woman at that time in that workplace. And, and that was like, oh my goodness, could you imagine doing that and doing that rain or shine every time you needed to use the restroom when you were at work? And the incredible thing is that she did it with a smile and a yes, sir, because she wanted to keep her job. Remember that when we head off to work tomorrow morning. Well, towards the end of the show, she could bear it no more. It, the burden had really become too much to bear. And she unloaded on her supervisor when he had asked her, why is it that you're going all the time to another place? You're, you're, you're gone for, for, you know, 45 minutes. Well, when she couldn't stand it no more, she said, because there's no bathroom here. And he was not aware of that. So, um, but in that, she, she unloaded on her supervisor, but she did so in a respectful and a composed way. And this is similar to Nehemiah. He's at that point where he can bear it no more. He can hide it no longer. The burden had begun to show on his face. And though fearful for losing his life, when given opportunity, he told the king the burden that was on his heart. And he did so respectfully. The time had come. That preparation period was over. The end of verse 2 continues with, Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? 
For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah's four months of prayer had prepared him, prepared him to be able to respond to the king's inquiry wisely, and he appealed to the king's respect for the dead. Continuing on, the king asked, Well, how can I help you? And Nehemiah responds in his mind with a prayer to the God of heavens, I replied. I love the example of this breath prayer. Of course, Nehemiah had laid that groundwork of developing a prayer life well before that. And this enabled him to confidently ask God for that last minute boost in knowing what to request from the king. Sometimes we find ourselves just needing to take that quick, Lord help me, breath. Confidence to trust that God is going to continue to lead us. It might be in that making a a business decision, um, making that deal, needing to know how to approach that. It might be that someone's going to come to you asking for godly advice. And with a prayer to the God of heaven, we can reply. It's not a desperate, Lord, I haven't prayed in a long time, but would you? Go ahead and fill in the blank. Rather, it's because we have spent time fostering that closeness with God in prayer prior to. Nehemiah knew where his help came from because he had invested in a prayer life. This gave him the ability to address the king in a humble servant's fashion. With a prayer to the God of heaven, Nehemiah responds. Verse 5, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Nehemiah understood that if he appealed to the king with humility and avoided the mention of the city itself, because if you were here last week, you heard that Artaxerxes was the one who issued the decree, stop the building, stop the rebuilding, And so Nehemiah knew that if he mentioned that city's name, it may strike a chord with with his king. And so he knew that if he avoided that, his request would stand a better chance of being answered and received. And so he stated his request in light of Judah being a providence of Persia and therefore under the care of Artaxerxes, something that the king would care about. We too need God to give us insight. A consistent prayer life with our Father in heaven opens the door for us to have the discernment to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. And the last second breath prayer never hurts. Quite often when I'm called out for a chaplaincy call with with the the county, I'll get information from, from dispatch. And of course they've gotten their information from the deputy who has just arrived on the scene and, and maybe doesn't have a full understanding of what it is yet, but he relays, yes, we need a chaplain. This is what he knows at that time. And you know what it is to kind of do that thing around the circle. You whisper in a person's ear, and by the time it gets around, it, it's different. Well, quite often, that's what happens. Obviously, you know, it, it's just circumstances. And, and so when I walk into a situation with the chaplaincy, I'm not 100% sure what it is actually that I'm going to be responding to. And so I have certainly used this breath prayer. Obviously prayed prior to, but you walk into a situation, it's a, Lord, help me with this. Help me to minister to the people. So a last second breath prayer never hurts. 
But finding favor with someone doesn't either. And I mean sincerely earned favor, not insincere, I'm flattering you to get my way. Nehemiah obviously had earned the king's approval as a cupbearer with his faithful servant attitude. He had the confidence of the king. And so in verse 6, the king responds with, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Nehemiah had been given the clearance to go. God's direction gained through prayer opened a door for him to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Prayer also had prepared Nehemiah to plan out the work to be able to give the king an immediate answer in how long the project was going to take. I can't tell you how many times my mentor has coached me in this, and I'm grateful for it. Pray, yes, but be prepared by laying out a plan. You don't want to waste precious time or risk that the possibility of that door that just opened is going to close because you had not prayed or prayerfully yet practically prepared. So God's wisdom and leading gained through that preparation allowed Nehemiah to be able to talk directly to the king and answer his questions. God's wisdom and leading also had Nehemiah asking for protection. Look back at me, or at the the text with me. And and verse 7 says, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. God led Nehemiah to also request personal protection. I think this is a wonderful example that that God is, is way okay with us asking for what it is that we need. He's going to lead us in doing so. So how many Monopoly game fans are in the room? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. I used to play occasionally. You know, we had long Minnesota winters back when I was a kid too. And, and so there was one of my, my three sisters that her and I played a lot of board games, a lot of card games, um, and things like that. And so we would occasionally play Monopoly as well. And she would typically get all of those yellow properties that Marvin Gardens, Venter, and Atlantic Avenues plus the green ones as well, Pacific, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. And then I don't know if we really actually followed the rules or not, but at least we were in agreement with the said rules. But then she would just pile on the houses and the the hotels as well. And so when nearing that section of the board, I didn't stand a chance unless I landed on exactly that. Chance. (laughs) Because it was on chance that I had a chance to receive an advanced straight-to-go card. That magic little thing that said, yes, just go ahead, go on through. Well, that's Nehemiah's journey to his destination. It wasn't going to be through friendly territory, and we're going to see that a little bit later in these coming weeks. It was not friendly territory. The, the ones around it didn't want the city to be rebuilt, didn't want that wall to be put back in place. And so in that, Nehemiah knew that he would need Artaxerxes to to provide him with papers, with that king's official seal on it, 
an advance straight to Jerusalem card. Nehemiah utilized the four months of prayerful waiting to prepare. For his safety, yes. For permission, yes. But also his supplies. Verse 8 reads, And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress and for the city walls and for the house for myself. Nehemiah had heard from his brother, we touched on this last week, recorded for us in that first chapter, that the city gates had been destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah would need wood to make new gates, among other things, and and God had led him to ask King Artaxerxes for a house credit at the king's lumber yard. Nehemiah had prayed, and the result of his prayer was wise preparation, which led to personal protection and project provision. We could look at everything that's transpired in Nehemiah's situation, starting with last week's first chapter, and and think, wow, how amazing Nehemiah is. But Nehemiah gives credit to where credit is due. The end of verse 8 reads, And the king granted these requests because the hand of God was on me. Are those not seven sweet words? Because the hand of God was on me. Nehemiah knew that it was not him who accomplished this on his own. He had his part. But he knew the real source of why this had happened. And I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, when Paul writes, But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. God had directed Nehemiah to pray, to keep on praying, to prepare in the wait, God was faithful, of course, to provide. His loving kindness and great grace gave Nehemiah more than what he had asked for. One last verse from Nehemiah this morning. Verse 9 reads, When I came to the governors of the providence west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them that proceed to Jerusalem card. And the king Nehemiah writes, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. God had given Nehemiah more than he had asked for. The king had provided Nehemiah with a personal escort, a secret service team of his own, sent along to protect him. The king had supplied him above and beyond. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So to close this morning, Nehemiah received that burden, that specific thing to pray about. And he humbled himself before God. He prayed, he continued to pray for four months, utilizing that time of waiting for God's answer to prayerfully prepare and plan. And he saw his God accomplish mighty things because his hand was upon him. Has God given you a burden? 
Is there something that he placed on your heart to specifically pray for? Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your country. But what are you passionate about? Seeing people set free? Sharing the love of Jesus with others? What is it that stirs your heart? Is it kids going to bed hungry at night? What leaves you wanting to make a difference? Maybe it's for the oppressed to be rescued, to see justice done. Whatever the burden, God has given it to you for a purpose. Approach him humbly in prayer. All the while, keep fulfilling your responsibilities. Keep serving and prepare and plan as you wait in anticipation for that door to open. Psalm 69.32 says, The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. I hope that this account has encouraged you as much as it has me. And, and I hope that that we'll see with fresh eyes that there's wonder in the wait as we wait upon God to answer our prayers, to stay persistent in them, but to pray expectantly. There's wonder in the wait. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you.